sisters, join the resistance. Come on, let's start by talking tactics. Have a pass and match us. Here's how we practice. The last order conversation. David Jason. Hey, everybody, welcome to Pop Culture Continuum. This is John Elliott. And this is Patrick Riccardi. And this week we have a special guest. Hello, guest. Hi, this is April. April. And April uh, works in publicity at my company. And did you do the publicity for the REM book? Yeah, actually I did. I worked on that. It was really fun. And I mean, as after all these years of being an REM fan, to actually like meet the band and have a conversation was phenomenal. Oh, so oh, you did awesome. get to do that. Mm-hmm. You, yes. You got more out of it than uh, Steve Marcus. We talked to him. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, as a publicist, you kind of have to interface with people. But um, it was a photo book of photos taken by um, David Blyle, who is, um, I think, technically Michael Stipe's assistant. And he's also a really great photographer. So he took a bunch of images and we made a book out of it. And we did a book signing at Book Soup in Los Angeles. And so I got to meet Michael Stipe there. And other um, members of the band and they have I can't remember the name of the guy that that tours with them he's kind of blondish with a goatee who um, took over I think it was Scott McCoy and met him so it was actually pretty cool so everybody yeah this is cool we've got people with actual REM uh, people who've met REM when you say uh, unofficially his assistant is that code for lover Oh, no, 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 I mean, I think technically, I think his title is assistant. I mean, I, I'm officially assistant, but um, I, I mean, I don't know the complete duties that David did, but um, he would, you know, go on tour and I think he helped um, Michael in between tours and maybe on albums. I'm not sure exactly sure, but in, you know, there's a lot of downtime. So he was able to practice his photography at that time. So he took tons of photos behind the scenes and um, concert photos and the book is really it's it's really neat if you're an rem fan so so did rem get a cut of the book's profits or did it all go to him i have no idea i would assume that it was all to him but that since he's had a long-standing friendship with michael stipe that michael came and signed the book at the book signing so both of them signed the book at that time which i'm sure encourages people to come out right i think we had about 400 people come in line to have the book signed. Yeah, if Michael Stipe's not there, maybe there's a hundred. Yeah, maybe a smaller amount. But it was cool. I got one of my ticket stubs signed from the um that nineteen was it nineteen eighty four, the uh eighty five. Or eighty five Fables the Reconstruction. I had that ticket stub and had them all sign it, which is really cool. That's cool. Yeah. And- For a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. All this talk about uh, his assistant sounds a little like there's some something shady going on there to me. But no, I think he has a, a long-term partner, so I don't think there's anything going on other than, you know, when you're a celebrity, you there's a tons of stuff that you need help with. So I mean, you can't run out and get yourself a coke, right? Stuff like that. I mean, I'm sure he did more important stuff than that. But what I'm saying is, that, like, I think you get to a certain point where you're not able to do things for yourself very efficiently. I think so. It's really good to have assistant. I've worked with celebrities who don't have assistants, and I really wish they had assistants because a lot of times it's hard to get things done, and you wish there was just some person there 
who could just, can you just get this signed, you know, stuff like that. So um, I think it, it's a, he's a legitimate assistant. <laughs> All right, let's hear some names of these uh, annoying celebrities. <laughs> well, number one, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I'm trying to get, I'm just kidding about his assistant anyway. I was just trying to <laughs> see how you would spin that as a publicist. <laughs> as yeah, a so, publicist. That's a good job. I think there should be a Tumblr by publicists that, that are just unassisted celebrities and just pictures of them. I imagine there's just a point where you, you like are getting you're building and building and building and building and then at some point you must realize that you can't take care of it yourself anymore and then you just have to bring in help. So a lot of times I work with people who are just about to crest that point and then I'm thinking gosh I really wish they had someone to help them out so that things went a lot smoother. Do you ever tell them that? Um, no but I always thought it'd be like a great business like to do some kind of you know, maybe you could do like a business where you have people remotely that can help people. You know, you could maybe one person assists like two or three different celebrities and just helps them until they get to the point where they hire someone and bring them in. That's but a great I think, idea. I think it'd be a great business because believe me, a lot of them need it. So <laughs> I'm well, sure a lot of celebrities are, are worried about having an assistant that'll rip them off. And if you're like a legitimate business, they don't have to worry about it because the people you're sending won't rip them off. Yeah, I think I, I don't even know how they. I don't know how they do that, how they can get people and screen them and everything like that. Well, your business idea is now copyright this uh, podcast. So thank you. <laughs> so we'll take 75% of the first year's profits. <laughs> oh, damn. percent of the rest. Um, Me and my big mouth. Let's hear uh, your, so let's hear your history with REM, April. That's how we are, we're uh, starting these out with, with people. Um, when did you first get into them? Uh, okay, so I'm from Santa Cruz, California. It's kind of where I grew up. Um, there's a great uh, KZ, um, KZSC, is a college station there. And there was also a high school station out of Robert Louis Stevenson. It was like a college prep school, and they had a really great, both those places had good radio stations, college-style radio stations. And I think that's where I first heard REM in the really, really early 80s. And then... Um, there was also, and I was trying to find the name of it, there used to be a TV show that would play late at night, and I think they filmed concerts in, like, Southern California, maybe at the Palace or something, and they had, like, Blondie on there, I think um, the Plimsolls were on there, R.E.M. was on there, too, and it was, I think it was pretty edgy at that time, so I remember, like, hearing R.E.M. then and, and seeing them on that TV show, which was on pretty late at night, but... Um, they were, you know, college radio stable. So I listened to a lot of that when I was in junior high school. So that's uh, I got really into them at that point. So yeah, you were you were an early adopter. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> you said you saw them on the Fables tour, so yeah, that's yeah. And I was fourteen then, so it was. You guys can do the math on that one. Yeah. Well, I think we're we're roughly the same age. You. Are, so. <laughs> yeah. So I saw them there, and then I saw them, I've seen them probably maybe three or four more times since then, um, mostly I think in high school and a little bit of college, and then I took a break, and then I hadn't seen them for quite some time until that book tour, and they played at the Greek Theater in Los Angeles. I can't remember when that was. Was that? 2008. 2000, yeah. 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 yeah how was the 2008 experience compared to your high school, college experience, seeing them live? Well, 
in high school, I was at the Santa Cruz Civic Auditorium, which is, you know, it's like a huge gym almost or something. And it was pretty, um, it was pretty awesome, a lot of energy. And the Greek theater was everyone kind of sitting down dark. It was a hot summer, hot summer night and under the stars. So it was a little more kind of magical later on. And the first show was really kind of super high energy. I guess I had to, and please, I guess I'm more mellow now and had more energy back then too. So um, I think that's what was the big difference. Oh yeah. It's, it's not necessarily that the music was better in uh, 85. It's that just that we were all younger. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I went, I went the night after you up in Berkeley, um, a bunch of us from the, the company went to that too. And, uh, a couple of the designers got to go backstage and hang out. That's pretty damn cool. Yeah. But, I, I mean, anytime you can go backstage, I mean, any type or, or like even just go up to them and be like, hi, that was a great show. And then like run away. It's just so awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. I, uh, I love meeting, meeting artists, um, which I, the, I think the, the first, people I ever met were the replacements um, back in the 80s after a show and and I was I think I was probably drunk so I got the courage to like hang out afterwards um, but I mean it well obviously depends on who it is a lot of a lot of them are really nice and then uh, some of them are total assholes yeah I think did I mention to you when I met you 40 no it was right around that same time and because I was really young in high school, you know, you could only go to a concert if someone's parents dropped you off. <laughs> so we told our friend's mom, pick us up at midnight. We didn't know how long the show was going to go. I don't know if we thought this was some festival, but it was only it, it was over at like 1030 or 11. So we were stuck waiting for an hour for this guy's mom to pick us up. So we kind of congregated by a door that was open that had light coming out because it was dark. <laughs> and we could see in to the main, you know, the main place where people stand, you know, I guess the floor, I guess. And the drummer, who I believe the drummer before is named James Brown, he, he came out and was smoking a cigarette indoors. This is how long ago it was. And he saw us and like waved us over. And, you know, we were, I think it was around the same time. I was either 13 or 14. And we thought, oh my God, this guy's talking to us. So we ran over there and we had like posters and, shirts on and stuff and he said do you want to come back and meet the band and so of course we were like spazzing out yes we do so he brought us back and it was just a room filled with like just humongous spliffs and just pot everywhere tons of booze <laughs> lots of women and um we came in and we were like hi and we like shuffled around to everyone and had them sign our little posters and then one of the guys in the band asked us if we wanted a beer, which I, which, and I leaned over and said, I'm sorry, we're not old enough. Like, like, like he had thought that I was 21 and we just, and then we sat on the side and like just on some chairs and sat there for a while and kind of watched everything. And then um, we said, Oh, we got to go. My friend's mom's picking us up kind of thing. And then we took our, our soda cans, we had Sprites, I guess is what we got. We took our soda cans and we were like, we're going to save these soda cans forever, basically. And then went out and met our friend's mom and just screamed the whole way home. It was, it was I mean, like, it was pretty awesome for like 13, 14 year olds to have that experience, you know? Oh, yeah. Awesome for anybody. 
Yeah. And then is, 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 that, that is, I was so concerned that he thought I was 21. I just wanted to clear that up so he didn't get in trouble. Is that when you started your career as an international drug smuggler? Yes, exactly. <laughs> that, That's how I paid for college. No. No, not at all. <laughs> well, this... Uh, what, what, I didn't even mention the albums we're doing. Uh, so uh-huh. we, we are this week. We're doing uh, Life's Rich Pageant from 1986 versus Up from uh, 1999, I think it was. And um, I think April we both saw REM on the Life's Rich Pageant tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw him at Oakland. Did you? Um, I was this was in Santa Cruz. My oh. mom would not allow me to leave Santa Cruz County for for shows. Thus, I did not see the Smiths when they were together because they performed outside of Santa Cruz. So one of my great regrets. Yeah, I never saw the Smiths either. I was that story could that. actually be a Smith song. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's full of regret. Or a song on Up. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I like Last Rich Pageant for a while was my favorite R.E.M. album. Um, I remember... I went to Long's Drugstore, which was back in the day. It was like uh, it was like a Rite Aid type. Uh, I don't think they're around anymore. Um, and back then, you know, drugstores would have like the the section with cassette tapes you could buy. And uh, I remember seeing Life's Rich Pageant at Long's, and I bought it. And I was just super excited that they have REM at Long's Drugs. <laughs> I thought that was like uh, I don't, I don't know what the hell I thought. I was like, oh, they're they're breaking through to. Uh, <laughs> to whatever to the drugstore drug crowd yeah <laughs> they finally made it <laughs> and uh and i was super happy about that and i i remember listening to that tape uh over and over all all was it summer i can't who knows i don't know when it came out um of course two years later if you saw it at a drugstore you would have accused them of selling out and spit on this tape yeah, that's probably true. I never, I was never one who uh, accused REM of selling out because I don't think, I think even when they were on a major label, for the most part, they were, they were not. Like I've said before, they, it's not like they turned into Journey or anything. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, Life's Rich Pageant was uh, the first record where I, I feel like where Michael Stipe's vocals started getting somewhat decipherable. Um, he was singing clear, and the and the sound was like more more arena sounding and rockish on this album than they had been previously. And uh, I just loved it at the at the time. I st- I mean, I still think it's a great. Al- I think all their RES al- IRS albums are great, um, but I probably prefer Murmur or Reckoning these days. But but I loved this at the time. I was sixteen. It was perfect sixteen year old music. Yeah, you could definitely understand his voice a lot better, but the lyrics still didn't make any sense. No, they don't. Yeah, you're like, who the hell is Miles Standish at that point? <laughs> what is, yeah. yeah like, <laughs> what's, what's going on with Martin Luther Zinn? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who are these people? Well, I, you know, I think I had mentioned this to John before, but I had, you know, on the back of the albums, they had, I would say, like, if you want to join the REM fan club, like, send a self-addressed stamp envelope to this address. And I got the flyer back, and I think at that point I like didn't have ten dollars or whatever it was, so I didn't actually join. But I got the flyer, and I remember on there it had big like written in big like letters, like no lyrics or something. Because everyone would just be like, "Can you tell me what the lyrics are?" And they were just like, <laughs> "We don't give out lyrics." It was like 
big, like, let's just set this straight first of all, before you join this club. You're not getting lyrics. Well, I don't think... No matter how many $10 bills you send us, you're not getting any lyrics. <laughs> I don't even know if Michael Stipe knew all the lyrics. I know, I did you see him on the Green Tour, April? Uh, I don't believe so, no. Yeah, that was like a, that was like their first, you know, their first major label tour, and so they had... Um, Peter Halsapple from the DBs was was with him for that, so which was mm. nice because he could fill in on extra guitar and piano and stuff. Um, so it filled out their sound. But um, I remember Michael Stipe like having a, a music stand with lyrics for some of the songs that he would bring up because he didn't even remember the lyrics to the song. So, um, but yeah, no, the the lyrics are 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 comprehensible, but as you said, Pat, they they still they're just impressionistic. They're not. Of course, that music stand had pe- the, had written on it just mumble, so he re- he could remember to mumble in certain parts of the song. Yeah, they were they were major label then, so he had to remember to mumble. Um, I used to subscribe to Rolling Stone for a brief period of time. Um, I can do well, it. Was a few, it was a few years, and he wrote a letter. To, they published a letter to the editor from him, and it contained all these lyrics from different songs that he'd like put together. So, and it was like, oh my gosh, that is what he's saying and whatever. It's like, it, I don't remember exactly what the letter was saying and maybe no one knew, but the, he had grouped like different like phrases and stanzas or whatever from different songs that were in there. I remember, it was really interesting. I remember that article. It might've been around the time of Green, Green or Document. Um, cause I so remember- wait, did, did he write an article or a letter where he didn't write anything new? It just, it was all pieces of lyrics put together to make sentences I, I can't remember exactly but it, so I think maybe they maybe they had Rolling Stone had done an article about R.E.M. and then he responded yeah, with they, a letter that they printed in the letters to the editor section yeah I think oh. they asked him about lyrics specifically and he responded um, and like said some stuff about uh, I remember maybe this was a different one but I remember he was talking about sitting still the lyrics to that and he gave some and then he started giving them and then he was like Oh, it's really just the sounds of words. Like he didn't, he wouldn't give out the full lyrics or anything. It's like the Cocteau Twins, same thing, right? Like, what the hell is that lady saying? Does it really matter? Because it's so totally beautiful, but I think very similar. It is, yeah. I mean, Cocteau Twins is a good example. I think, and and kind of My Bloody Valentine too, where like the lyrics are just, or the the vocals are just part of the overall music, and they're not they're not there to make a point. They're there to sound pretty. And add something to the the song overall. Um, but this one, okay, Life's Rich Pageant. Pat, you, uh, I want to ask you because, um, as we know, Pat got into them later than the IRS period. So um, I, I always want to get your opinion on these older albums. Yeah, I don't think I'd ever heard this one before. I, oh, I'm really? sure I've heard. I'm sure I heard a majority of the songs, but I've never heard it all the way through, and it was. It was awesome. Yeah, uh, I don't, uh, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I, I think we were saying that, like, when you and I first heard this, we were like teenagers, and definitely, like, there was a bunch going on in my life at that time where I was like, "Yeah, don't screw over the environment," and "Yeah, what's going on with the government?" Like, I think there was a bunch of pieces that you could take from it when you could decipher what he was saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That totally. time was very like motivating, which maybe 
wasn't so much in their previous songs. Like South Central Rain, I know he's sorry, but does it really apply to me? You know, <laughs> so <laughs> I felt that I felt like there was little simpatico going on in this one. Yeah, definitely, um, definitely more overtly political than anything they'd done before. Um, with songs like Cuyahoga and uh, the the Flowers of Guatemala, and um, even Fall on Me, I mean, is supposedly about acid rain although from the lyrics you wouldn't guess it in a million years but um i didn't put it together is cuyahoga that river that was on fire yeah okay and i remember in uh in senior year of high school um in my history teacher had a uh had an rem poster up on the wall um with that had the lyrics from cuyahoga on it i thought that made her cool uh, and I it think did. so. Yeah. It qualifies. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway, I, I think uh, like it starts out with uh, Begin the Begin and These Days, with their, which are both pretty uh, like kind of harder-edged rock songs, and both of which I really loved. Um, and, then, and then, of course, they've got the more folky stuff, too. But, uh, but the drums sound really good on the whole album. Um, yeah. Uh, which is not the case on Up, but we'll talk about that later. And uh, and yeah, the the lyrics are are more direct and um, or at least uh, comprehensible. Uh, but uh, let's we'll talk about we each picked a song um, from this album, and uh, my song is the first one in order, uh, which is Fall on Me, which was the first single, and uh, I remember the video for it because it was just like some aerial shots of. I can't even remember, like a construction site or something, but uh, but they over that they printed the lyrics to the entire song uh, on the video, which I thought was really cool. Uh, so I guess I guess they wouldn't give lyrics out to the fan club, but they they do it uh, <laughs> when they're making money off of it. it was, this is a few years later. Maybe they decided like give the people what they want, or maybe they just figured this is an important message we're trying to get across. So yeah, even though, like I said, it, you don't get that it's about acid rain from the lyrics at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I just think it's a perfect, uh, it's like another quintessential REM song. It's, it's like from the f opening bars, it sounds like an REM song. And, uh, and I think Michael Stipe's lyrics are great. And they do that thing that we talked about a lot with, uh, Michael Stipe singing one thing and Mike Mills singing something completely different underneath him, mm -hmm. um, which always works really well. And the song's just, uh, uh, it's got to be top five for me, REM songs. Um, what do you guys, you guys got any? I like how the, it kind of opens with a pretty guitar and then you have a drum, that, you, like heavy drum when this, yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> the song starts. The, song, the song's already started, but you know what I mean. And it, it says on Wikipedia that it's not about acid rain. He started writing a song about acid rain, and then the final version of the song is just about oppression. But that's Michael Stipe talking, so who knows what it Yeah, who the about. hell? Because, I mean, I remember him at the time saying it was about acid rain in interviews. So, um, But, yeah, maybe I got that I got that mixed up, but that, that was my idea. Um, I think it's just, I, I mean, it's pretty perfect song to me. And it, there's just so many different things going like you're saying the beginning with the guitar and then the soaring chorus it's pretty i mean all these years later i'm not sick of it which i can not say that about certain songs i loved at that time so a lot of songs from 86 yeah, yeah. I, I agree. <laughs> oh john you didn't do the top 10 
the top ten list from '86, comparing it to. Oh, holy crap! You're right. Um, let me get that up. So, so yeah. we've been looking at the top ten list of songs at the same time as w- when the REM album came out, just to 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 show how alternative REM was at the time. I I mean, it's compared to I forget what was on other episodes, but it was much much different than what was big in the rest of the culture at the time. Right, because REM got so big that um, that a lot of people have like younger people have a hard time understanding that they were alternative. So let me give you a, a rundown of some of the, the Billboard uh, Top 100 singles of 1986. That's What Friends Are For with Dion Warwick, Gladys Knight, Elton John, and Stevie Wonder. Which R.E.M. has done many covers of. Of course. <laughs> um, Say You, Say Me by Lionel Richie. <sighs> On My Own, Patti LaBelle and Michael McDonald. Wow. Um, Mr. Mr. Broken Wings, How Will I Know? Whitney Houston, mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy, Party All the Time. Oh, I sing that to myself still, so I'm not sick of that song. Whatever uh, happened to him? Eddie Murphy? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, st- I mean, he was just in that movie where they were trying to break into this rich man's uh, like penthouse and steal his money. I can't remember who it that was a oh, couple years ago. I, I, I don't remember what it was called. I think you're thinking I think of Ben Stiller. Richard Pryor. Oh. It uh, definitely was not Richard Pryor. <laughs> no, it was just a couple years ago. Ben Stiller was in it, but I think uh, I think Tower Heist. I think he was. Yeah, Tower Heist. Yeah, I think that. I at least I hope he was in it because that means I have mental he problems. Was, he wasn't. He was in it. He was the yeah. convict. Okay, I didn't see it, but I saw it. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I I actually saw it too. That's bizarre. Uh, it was a terrible movie. Um, which, which basically answers the question: What happened to Eddie Murphy? I think uh, two hundred terrible movies later. Uh, I was just pretending he was a singer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, what else do we have? Uh, greatest love of all. Um, addicted to love. Well, Robert Palmer's not bad. Yeah, a lot of love in nineteen eighty-six. Yeah, it was it. It was uh, the nineteenth anniversary of the Summer of Love. So. Uh, Friends and Lovers, that's another one. I don't even know what, so- what song that is. The Glory of Love, Peter Cetera. Oh, jeez, Louise. <laughs> <sighs> West End Girls, which came out like two years earlier, so it's weird that it was on the on the top. Um, anyway. Movie or something. And this might be the worst list we've had. Yeah, this is pretty terrible. Never by heart. Oh, uh, God. Higher Love, what? Steve Winwood, and Kiss by Prince. So at least... A couple this, decent songs. Wow, Prince this is pretty a, low. Well, he was number 19. That's actually not that bad for the whole year. But yeah, so uh, a bunch of horrible shit. Oh, here, I can't believe this was a top 100 song. April, you probably remember this. Pat, you probably don't. But uh, Dream Academy, Life in a Northern Town. I hated oh. that song. I you know, I liked it, it for a few months, but it was just... Uh, so I can't believe something so, so like, mellow could become so abrasive. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I want to hear that again. <laughs> it's very, it's extremely bland. I think it just bothered me so much because they were playing it on like the alternative stations at the time. And I was like, what is this shit? Nothing can equal my distaste of walking on sunshine. I, I know everybody yeah. says that. And I, I'm one of the few who likes it and I can't, I don't know. I'm not going to try to be an apologist <laughs> for it. Uh, I didn't know it was a hated song. Why do, why do you hate it? I think there's... Uh, they could have taken out about 20 different 
repeating of Walking on Sunshine's Out and that song would have been much better. It, it like never ends. It's just constantly walking on sunshine. And I just eventually think, oh my God, I'm going to strangle myself. So at oh, the time when it came out, I probably enjoyed it. But yeah, no, I, my times it. I get why people would, uh, would be annoyed by it and think it's played out. I just, I don't know. It's like that classic chord progression that's uh, Louie Louie and uh, You Really Got Me, you know, that mm-hmm. and kind of House Martins ish. Um, I just didn't realize it was it was a song that was hated so universally. Oh yeah, it's pretty. It's it annoys the shit out of quite a few people. Um, I think just clearly to me, it's the amount of times Walking they, on Sunshine is repeated. <laughs> like if it wasn't so much, like, it would be fine. But it's just over and over. If they over. didn't repeat it, you probably wouldn't remember the name of the song. Uh huh. What? Walking on what? <laughs> the moon. <laughs> <laughs> the. Uh, yeah, no, I get it. Uh, it's funny because that I don't know anything about uh, guitar, um, but I, when I when I played in a band, um, I used to when I would write songs because I played drums, I would hum them to the guitar player, and, and then he would you know play it until it sounded like I wanted to. But according to him, uh, the "Walking on Sunshine" chord progression was the chord progression to every single song I ever wrote. <laughs> so. <laughs> You're like, okay, take Walking on Sunshine. Now add this. <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, it's the same chord progression. The songs don't necessarily sound the same to me, but I guess they do too. I, when you're when you've got some music theory, you, it it starts annoying you, which it annoyed him that I kept writing the same chord progression. I tried one time to write something totally different, and he told me it was the chord progression backwards. So anyway, it uh, sounds like you have some kind of mental problem. <laughs> I think so. Well, it explains why I like walking on sunshine, I guess. Um, but yeah, uh, so REM did not sound like any of these people in the in the top 100. Maybe vaguely Dream Academy, um, but not anywhere near as shitty. But, but uh, well, let's let's uh, listen to Fall on Me for a little bit. Um, so people, if they don't know it. They can hear what we're talking about. Here's Fall on Me. There's a problem feathers on bargain buildings, weights and pulleys, feathers hit the ground. Okay, and uh, April, your pick, you want to tell us and tell us why you picked it? I vacillated on which I was going to pick, honestly, and I think I finally settled on I Believe, just because, it, to me, it's just such a great, positive, like, feeling song, like, that I want to sing it every time it's on. Um, so I, I just, it's, I think this album is a lot about uh, REM stepping out and being more adults and thinking about more adult stuff. And I think they want to s- 
I'm guessing, this is my take on it, that they're kind of putting forth, or maybe it's Michael Stipe's putting forth kind of philosophy and it, and that it's like about believing in things. So I think that was really positive. Oh, I agree. I think definitely this album, um, you can tell they're trying to engage the outside world a lot more where, where before they were kind of insular and, and cryptic. Um, and here they come. I no, I love this song too. I, um, this was always one of my favorites. I love the little, uh, banjo intro to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the, uh, which doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the song, but it's just cool that they threw it in. Um, How is this song played live? Did they have the banjo? They don't do the banjo intro. Uh, Live, when I would see them do it, Michael Stipe would sing a verse from uh, another song in place of the banjo intro. Like, not one of their songs, but like an old folk song or something. Oh, okay. And uh, and then they would go into it. Um, And it was really, it was really good live. It was a, I mean, it's kind of a raver song for R.E.M. anyway. Yeah, I, I think there's a certain amount of innocence to it. I mean, I think it's just kind of like positivity that doesn't have so much jadedness or so. I, I just, uh, to me, it's like really positive and, and I really just want to sing along when I'm when I'm listening to it. And not in a, like, Smith's way where I want to sing along because I'm, Depressed. totally en- enveloping the sadness and and taking it in and eating it so this is really <laughs> like <laughs> positivity coming out and it, it's fun in concert you know i did look up to see what songs they were starting out with on their set list for this tour and it was these days i kind of thought it might have been begin to begin but that was usually a like um, middle or yeah or, or an encore yeah and um you know, I believe was kind of down there on the list. So it was interesting to see what they start out with and that these kind of, these other songs kind of fell lower in the list. I haven't checked uh, online, but so my memory might be faulty, but if I remember correctly, uh, when I saw them on this tour in Oakland, they opened with, have you ever seen the rain by Creedence Clearwater Revival, which I thought was cool. Um, and also a weird song to open with because it's not it's not like a begin the beginner these days with where they're busting out of the gate hardcore uh but yeah no i i believe i mean it is positive although again when you when you listen to the lyrics he's saying he believes in coyotes and time is an abstract so <laughs> yeah it's, but it, i i mean talking about the the positivity that's one of the things i always liked about rem even when they're talking about depressing stuff i always found them to be positive yeah, not not uh, cynical or ironic like so many of the underground bands. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, just sincere. And you you enjoyed this song as well, Pat? Yeah, I agree with everything you guys said, All even right. when you disagreed with each other. <laughs> well, let, let's uh, let's play it for people. Uh, here is another great one from Lifeswitch Pageant, I believe. Yeah. 
Superman and I so I haven't I should have read up on this um, but I was actually gone for most of the weekend um, and and not online so I didn't have a lot of uh, time to do research but if I recall correctly they stopped playing this live and stuff because I think because it's a it's a cover it's the first cover song on an REM album um, but I think the the band that originally did it the the click or the clique um, who were a, a 60s kind of nobody band that nobody had ever heard of um, except Peter Buck because he worked in a record store uh, they kind of wanted some credit or something or more money from the song and I think that's why R.E.M. stopped playing it do either of you know the story no I didn't know they stopped playing it live yeah but think, it, you're right about the click is the name of the band but other than that I don't know yeah they they played it live on the on this tour and uh, and then they stopped and I there was some like some shadiness going on, I think, with the original band was the reason why they stopped, but I'm not 100% sure. But It must kind of suck to have another band make your song more, you know, more popular. But I think, you know, for I Am, they like to do covers. Like, there was certain, I, I was on, I saw another tour where there was a bunch of covers, like a, a lot of covers, and then people started getting angry because there were so many covers. But um, with the body of work they have, I think it's fine to not play that song anymore. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. But, uh, well, tell us about why you chose it, Pat. Well, this was on, I've, I've talked about that collection, that IRS collection a lot that I got when I was a kid from my brother. I stole from my brother when I was a kid, and this was on that, so I listened to it a lot. I didn't, until we did this, start re- I started looking into this album for this podcast. I didn't realize it was a cover until then. So, anyway, I really, when I was a kid, I really liked listening to a part of it because Superman. Superman, yeah, of course. And uh, even though it doesn't have much to do with Superman, but I I like the and I I just I like the song now listening to it now, but I just it's 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 been in my head for you know 20 years, so it's it's stuck with me and I still like it, which is which is a good thing. And uh, I was reading a little bit about it, and this was when I think uh, we talked about the fact that R.M. was democracy; they never did anything unless all of them agreed. But sometimes in the interviews I read that Michael Stipe would not always be as easy to make agree to stuff as the other guys were like Peter Buck and Mike Mills would do stuff that they didn't necessarily want to do, but Michael Stipe would pretty much never do anything he didn't want to do. So that's why he didn't sing on this song. He was not as enthusiastic about recording a song. So Mike Mills did the lead vocal lead. Yeah. He, I mean, he did do background vocals, right? But, right. Yeah. But he didn't. Yeah. So, Oh, that's true. I, I guess it's also the first Mike Mills lead vocal on an REM album. Yeah. Yeah. First. And he's fun. It's it, he's it's fun to hear him sing. So yeah, I I like the song. And that's why I picked it. Yeah, typical like '60s garage uh, subject matter, like worried about your woman cheating on you. Um, but it's a it's definitely a 
a super catchy song and better than the original version, which I've oh, you've heard. heard the yeah, it's not that good. It's not it's not anywhere near as good. No, um, it if you hear the original version, you'll see uh, how good of uh, interpreters REM were. Of now I, I they'd have to be a little bit happy that it it got airplay because they unless they didn't write it. I guess they maybe they didn't write it so because I'm thinking they complained about them playing it, but that every time it gets played, they get they get money right yeah i i really wish i knew the whole story behind it i think they they maybe wanted more money than rem was giving them um which was you know a fair amount or something but you know the, i mean i'm sure the the dudes in the click were all you know working working nine to five jobs and stuff at that point and were maybe just getting a little greedy seeing yeah i mean more than what you're getting before is better than nothing which is what you're getting before because no one heard of the song right and I, i'm sorry super fans of the click who are listening <laughs> get ready for the your facebook to blow up <laughs> well it, it, it would probably actually i think super fans of the click would be the members of the click at this point so yeah maybe <laughs> maybe they will be all over us um and we can hate them the same way R.A.M. does. Uh, but let's let's give a listen to your pick, Pat. Here is Superman. I just think overall, there's a couple songs that are kind of filler, but nothing's nothing's terrible on the album. Um, like underneath the bunker is just kind of a weird, like Latin tinged song with Michael Stipe singing through a megaphone or whatever that effect it, is. It's over before you know it, so it doesn't yeah, happen. it's like a minute something long. And uh, what if we give it away? I never really cared for. It's kind of a bit slow for me. And that's a cover of a Red Hot Chili Pepper song. <laughs> don't don't disparage R.E.M. like that, Pat. But I think everything else is really good, even just a touch, uh, which uh, we used to play when I was when I was in that band, um, is is like a good garage rock song uh, that that is has more of the indecipherable lyrics than anything else on the album. Um, but definitely like. The, the whole the first three songs are like bam 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 
top shelf and then um and then Cuyahoga's good and hyenas you know it's whatever um but uh i i wanted to mention the flowers of guatemala uh, which i think i will throw on for the outro music just because of the guitar solo uh it's my if people ask me my favorite guitar solo which you'd be surprised how many people do um i always John, say what's your favorite guitar solo uh eric clapton layla no it's this one flowers of guatemala <laughs> and i love it because it's like so simple i don't even play guitar and i could probably play it it's only like four notes or something but it fits the song so perfectly uh that's why I love Peter Buck. He's just like, he's got taste. Kind of, I don't know if you remember, Pat, when we did the Revolver episode, but um, got to get you into my life. There's a George Harrison guitar thing in there that's the same thing. It's just like, it's like th- a three-note thing. You can't even really call it a solo, but it fits the song um, better than any any kind of jack-off uh, shredding stuff you could think of. Uh, and that, So I really love that. And, and I'll throw that on the end so people can hear uh, the guitar solo and make fun of me for my uh, my terrible taste in, in uh, guitar heroics. But, because uh, everyone thinks R.E.M. is a terrible band. <laughs> well, I think, you know, there are, there are music fans who are really into the shredders, you know, like Eddie Van Halen and Eric Clapton, who are just bore the shit out of me, that, that kind of a thousand notes a second type stuff. Yeah. Wait, Eric Clapton does that kind of thing? That the thousand notes is like really fast shredding. No, I guess he doesn't. He's more he's more of a uh, you know the white blues stuff, yeah. which is equally boring to me. Um, but any other songs on this album that you guys wanted to point out? I think we actually mentioned all of them. I think we did a good job. Yeah. All right. Um, fuck it then. Let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll come back and talk about up. We had a comrade, a brave comrade, he could talk for whole days. But then he tried to be a hero, tried talking about Shamiro to computers wearing earphones. He almost died for conversation, hallucinations, good vibrations. Van Dyke Park's greyhound racing, steeplechasing. We're back, uh, and we are talking about up. Marcy, oh, up. No, that was the break. Always. <laughs> well, we should have April back. We'll do a Smiths because Morrissey's coming out with a new album. We can do a Smiths versus Morrissey episode. Um, I would say the Queen is Dead versus New Morrissey album would be oh, a, a fun episode. And one aside is that when my grandma used to travel a lot, like she traveled all over the world, she always asked me, "What do you want?" So she went to England, and she said, "What do you want?" And I said, "I want." the recent Smiths album, like, but cassette. Cause for some reason I thought if it came from England, it'd be more legit. And it was actually a worse quality. Like <laughs> it was terrible. Like the, the, the whole package was terrible compared to what we would get here in America. Well, yeah. But Cause it gran- was rough trade <laughs> there and it was sire here. So yeah, <laughs> it was terrible. It was just crappy. Like it was all like fading and stuff, but 
um, when my grandmother went in to buy it at a record store, she said, I would like the new Smith's cassette. And of course she was at that time, like in her sixties. And the person said, are you sure you want to buy this? And my grandmother said, well, I'm buying it for my granddaughter. And the person said, this is terrible music. <laughs> I told my grandmother. <laughs> and so she gave it to me and said, this man told me this was terrible music. And I said, no, it's not terrible music. So he's trying to scare my grandma. But anyways. was that man Jack Black in high fidelity? <laughs> I don't know. She just bought. I mean, like, I don't. I don't know the situation. She just bought it some like record store in London or something. It's kind of and, a dickish thing to say to an old lady buying it. Yeah, album. yeah. I know, huh? And it was like, oh, it's just the Smiths. It wasn't like I was asking her for like a Dead Kennedys Venom album or, or something. something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's the, what's the one? With, oh, well, anyways, go ahead. We're I was getting off topic. No, it's <laughs> fine. You, was the one with all the penises. Back. Yeah, was that Frankenchrist? That Fra- yeah. All the- <laughs> well, at least I wasn't asking for that. <laughs> I was hoping she'd come back with a Smith Brothers tape. What is uh, the Smith Brothers? They're nineteen forties act. They oh, were, like the uh, like the Lennon sisters? They're related to the Lennon sisters, yeah. Or she came back with the Smothers Brothers. Smothers Brothers like comedy album or something that would be pretty. I don't know ridiculous. how she made that mistake. <laughs> no, no, that'd be pretty funny though. We both start with SM. Uh-huh. <laughs> Got a TH in there. Um, up. They're both against the war. Up. The night so this was the first album uh without Bill Berry, the drummer, and um So they invested heavily with into drum machines. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that's I mean, I, I will say that uh of the three albums of REM that I dismissed immediately upon hearing, um, which was this one and Reveal and Around the Sun, um, this one I like the best of those three on re-listening to it. But the drum machines are a problem. Um, they, I, I'm not against drum machines on principle, but I think for REM music, it's not. It doesn't work. Like they're not. <laughs> it were you know they're not Depeche Mode, so it just yeah. it sounds weird with their song structures to have all this uh, electronic drums and programming. Um, and it kind of dis- distracts from the music or detracts from the music overall. I think uh, it's, it's the kind of music where you want a real drummer. Um, Agreed. But, but it, it did, it is uh, listening to it. It's actually not bad. No, I really liked it. It's, it's not really an REM album. I felt like it sounded so much different that it didn't. I mean, it's an R.E.M. album, but it didn't sound like them. But I like how it sounded. Like the song I picked out reminded me a lot of Yola Tango, and the song you picked out reminded me a lot of Beach Boys. So it's all it had all this other sounds to it that wasn't especially R.E.M. But I liked the sounds that it had. Yeah, I I agreed. Like when it, re-listening to it for this episode, um, I was it struck me that it was very much uh, a departure for them i mean they were definitely trying something new that the there were they're the they're always going to have some of the you know uh classic sounding rem stuff and they do on here too like day mm-hmm. sleeper and and uh, at my most beautiful and and some other songs but uh but overall it had a a really different feel like they had some of it had like that kraut rock ish influence and maybe a little bit of Stereolab even. Um, yeah, the, I did hear, I mean, I don't know if they were directly referencing Stereolab, but it, there's a couple, I can't remember what song, but there was a song that's, that opened up and was like, hey, this would fit, it, aside from the scene, would fit in in a Stereolab album, which is neat. Yeah. That, that one complaint I would have about the album, I, 
I mean, I it didn't feel like an album. It just felt like a bunch of songs thrown together. It didn't. I didn't feel a real cohesion. No, uh, I no, I agree. I, the complaint I would have is that I think it could have used some editing. I mean, it's it seemed very long and. And it seemed like there were a lot of five-minute songs that maybe could have been cut down to three minutes, and they would have worked better. Um, or a minute and change. Yeah, but overall, I, I thought uh, I think um, it's it's an experimental album, and and uh, after giving it some time, I think it it pays off for the most part. Uh, well, I think when you were giving the list of things to do, I was like. Um, Ooh, Lester's Pageant, yay, up. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> but but actually, after listening to it all the way through, because as I said, I'm a shuffle kind of person who likes the surprise, but actually just sitting down saying, like, I'm going to go from one to, was it 14 or 15 songs? Yeah. Um, And really doing the time with it and paying attention, not just, like, I'm going to fold laundry while I'm doing this. But um, I ended up, like, making a list and checking off the ones I like and not checking off the ones I didn't like. And I like seven of the songs so, yeah, that's, so it's a that's good. like half you know it's not that bad yeah no and well I, like i said i think it's experimental um at least for rem and uh, experimental stuff is never gonna pay off a hundred percent and and plus the fact that they were probably reeling about doing something without bill berry yeah yeah yeah, yeah i mean i i assume I, I didn't look at the, like I said, I didn't really have time to, to research this one. Um, I assume they had a real drummer on some of the stuff, but uh, but a lot of it really sounds like drum machines, um, uh, which which is a bit off-putting. But your, your song you picked, Pat, um, kind of a weird song to me for you to pick, but um, we'll hear why you, why you picked it. I I liked it and I like I said it reminded me of a little tango so I just I latched onto that when I I picked it it's kind of a depressing song yeah airport man sorry we didn't mention yeah. the name uh, they should have known from uh, your just, description you know, uh, not this, that just uh, who we are as people but I always pick the man songs oh yeah that's right you're on Superman and Airport Man the, the lyrics of the song seemed kind of throwaway to me but. Um, I think the music's a little more interesting than the lyrics on this, but, um, and there's a bunch of, I don't want to say noise, but there's like noises going on that are very unusual for them. Yeah. I, th- I mean, yeah. I, I feel like it's not really so much a song, uh, as, as like mood music. Like it, it sounds like a maybe soundtrack ish to me mm-hmm. kind of, and the, the vocals are like completely buried. Um, I don't yeah, think, I had trouble understanding him. I, I didn't make any of them out, and I didn't look them up. Um, but having said that, as a mood piece, I think it's it's effective. It's just the one song on the album that's not that doesn't have like it's not a traditional song structure. It doesn't have the traditional song structure you associate with REM, I guess. Um, it's more moody and electronic and kind of sinister sounding. Hmm. Yeah, maybe it's a moment, not a story. Yeah, I think I think definitely, but it sounds like that's what appealed to you about it, Pat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I I can hear the Yola Tango thing. I also this is another one where I hear kind of like, I don't know, maybe some Brian Eno, maybe Krautrock ish, um, but yeah, a lot of it's all texture really. Um, but well, let's uh, let's play it. 
so people can get a sense of what we're talking about here is the opening song from the album Airport Man. I was I was surprised when he told me that one, Pat, because um, I think there's there are some songs on the album that like are similar as far as like being kind of moody, but are more more uh, concretely songs. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just it, it just really struck me. There's yeah. a lot of I, I, I don't think it's my favorite song. It's just the one that I thought would be most interesting to talk about. Yeah, no, I I get it. I always like. That's what's I don't know what this. my favorite would be. Uh, yeah, it's hard to pick because there's 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 some really ones that didn't. I don't can't even think of how they sound, and there's ones that stuck with me, but I don't know they they stuck with me for good reasons. Like Lotus really stuck. The lyrics of that stuck with me, but I don't know that's because it was so rhymy or what. Well, Lotus, I think Lotus is a good song. It's another one um, that's kind of electronic. I'd be interested to hear which ones you liked, April. Um, because to me, like Lotus and Suspicion, stuck out as as being good. Yeah, I think I what is it was Airport Man, Lotus, Walk Unafraid, Day Sleeper, Diminished, and Parakeet. Oh, and At My Most Beautiful. Yeah, those oh. are the ones that I liked. Yeah, Parakeet was one that I like literally didn't even remember at all until I um, went back to listen to it. And uh, yeah, I like that one too. It's it's sounds it's got that weird like underwater sound quality to it mm, yeah um i'm thinking of this series we're doing where we do the we were comparing for, you know old to new with these rem stuff is there any any episode where people are saying yeah yeah it seems like everybody every episode is yay boo yeah i well i mean i th- i think that's maybe true. With uh, uh, out of time and automatic for the people, that's a yay yay. But other than that, yeah, because those are like those are one right after another. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. There's not as as stark a contrast, but I think oh, also green versus monster too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We'll see how that one goes. I th- I think also that a lot of the guests we've had on were um, were REM fans from the IRS days, so mm-hmm. it kind of yeah. makes sense that that, that that's how it's going to go. Well, um, I can't wait till we have a guest on that was that there uh, got into REM at the uh, around the sun period. <laughs> They're like, "What is this murmur thing?" The yeah, that would be Michael Stipe's assistant. That's the yeah. only one I think. <laughs> so apparently, there is an album or not an album? Sorry, a novel written by one of Michael Stipe's early. I don't know early. I mean, a, 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 
one of his boyfriends that's that's a what's it called a Ramon de Cleef Ramonaclef Monoclip, where it's a story about their relationship, but without naming names. Have you guys read that? No, I didn't mm-hmm. even know about it. No, um, I never heard of it. I, I, I'm interested in reading it after finding out about it. it sounds fun. But uh, anyway. And after your deep, intense study of every single REM album. <laughs> I bet. Well, this, I mean, aside from Airport Man, I think another another thing, uh, difference between like the, the later period stuff and the older stuff is that the the lyrics are are completely intelligible and also not anywhere near as um, mysterious. I mean, they're pretty. They're a lot more straightforward as Michael Stipe got older. Um, mm-hmm. Which is this is the sorry to interrupt, but this is the first album that had the the lyrics on the booklet. Oh no shit! Yeah, that's mm-hmm. definitely a step forward. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're not saying you, no matter how much you pay, you're, we're not going to tell you what we're saying. So yeah. I think, but I think there's something appealing about the the mystery of the earlier stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, even down to like the album covers, you know, it was all just it was. I think I mentioned with Steve Mockus, it, it kind of reminded me of Pavement. Kind of did that later on, um, just being really cryptic and and the lyrics not not being literal. Um, I think that that appeals to a lot of a lot of people. Uh, it's, it's more arty than than these songs. I mean, not that these are like Whitney Houston songs, but but you know, lyrically they're they're closer to Whitney Houston songs than the early REM stuff. Um, but anyway, it's too bad that Whitney Houston never did the uh, album of covers of the early REM stuff. <clears throat> she was working on it, but she yeah. had no idea there's, what was going to happen. There's still time. That's, that's that stuff's probably in the vault somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta wait for Bobby Brown to dig it up. Uh, Bobby Christina was that her daughter's name? Anyways, what do I know? What? Oh, they have a daughter. You yeah, know, you, you know it, more I than I do. Was Bobby Christine, I think it's like named after her husband. I don't know what the. She has two names, like two first names, but I can't remember what the second one is. Anyways, that's her legacy to discover and write the liner notes for. For the REM covers yeah. album, yeah. <laughs> She could write the liner notes for her mom's uh, posthumous bound, uh, uh, album. I'm surprised there hasn't been more. I mean, they're still releasing Michael Jackson shit. Oh, that's disconcerting. I know. <laughs> so are they? They're releasing Michael Jackson stuff that was never, never on anything else, or just like remastered stuff. No, yeah, they're they're releasing, you know, I it was probably like half finished stuff that they, you know, fix up in the studio. Uh, something just came out. I looked at, it, I didn't recognize the the songs on it, so it's you know probably like scraping the bottom of the barrel, like the kind of stuff they did with Jimi Hendrix and the Doors and stuff, and Tupac. Yeah. They just find like vocal snatches they did and string them together and and throw some music behind it. Um. Yeah, but my pick was uh, at my most beautiful, which is another one of their piano ballads, which uh, I'm always a fan of, and and like you said, Pat, uh, definitely Beach Boys influence, and uh, it's not a lot to say about it except uh, it's a pretty song. That's why I like it. I'm always a sucker for for those. Uh, what do you guys think of it? I think it it definitely shows. Yeah, I mean, there's like a there's a craft going on with this band. Like they make 
they really make beautiful stuff. So I think this was just a great example of them being able to make something a little more quiet that, that you really can get a lot of joy out of. Yeah. And Pat? I agree. (laughs) I concur. (laughs) All right. You know what happens a lot though? I think there's a, there's a lot of sleeping and dreaming going on in this album. And he's like in this one, he's like, like I let you sleep or something, but I just noticed there's a couple songs that mention dreaming and there's a couple, like two or three songs that mention sleeping or something. And they're getting kind of meta. It's kind of, I don't know what's going on here. Maybe he just, I don't know, talks about dreaming and sleeping a lot, but it comes up. I just felt it throughout this album coming up. Well, and, and it's got, I mean, I didn't notice that, but it's interesting because it does kind of have that feel to it. Like a, a lot of the stuff, like kind of a half awake, uh, in the middle of a dream type feel to it. Um, not this song. This song's pretty straightforward. Pop. 60s influence pop. Um, well, let's listen to At My Most Beautiful. Here it is. April, um, you talked to me about it before a little bit, but tell us, uh, Walk Unafraid, why why did you pick this one? Well, you know, originally I was thinking about The Apologist, just because he's talking about being sorry, and that makes me think about South Central Rain, and it was a totally different kind of sorry, but then I'm not that keen on The Apologist, so I decided not to pick that one, and I, I did go with Walk Unafraid, and mostly it was because um, I hadn't really paid much attention to this album, and when, we, when I saw them in LA, like on that tour that you and I both seen that Mon, um, I was just really struck by um, the beauty of this song. And I don't know if it's, I'm not a music theorist, but I know that there's certain, like, I don't know, chords or tones or keys or something that, that specifically resonate with people on an emotional level. And just there's notes in, in this song that just kind of like a, hit me emotionally and I felt super emotional when they performed the song. Like I was almost like teary eyed and I don't recall ever hearing it before then. So I'm trying to say, so, I mean, it was also the evening and the you know stars and it was just this beautiful night, but it was very, it was felt very emotional to me and made me emotional. So after that, I loved that song. Like after hearing it, that one moment, I loved it and have listened to it like nonstop. 
<laughs> it's it's like on permanent rotation on my you know playlist. Oh, that's a good story. I I like when that kind of thing happens with music. Um, yeah, and I don't know, like he, there's like some this kind of like waving. I don't want to say warbling because that sounds terrible. Part of the guitar at the end, you know, the it gets kind of noisy at the end, but yeah. it still is very. It'll elicit some motion out of me. So. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think on this song you can tell it's it's obvious that REM came. Uh, out of underground music, especially with that that guitar, because if a group like I don't know Lincoln Park or somebody say, not that they are, are good enough to compare to REM, but if they had done a song like this, uh, it would have been much more straightforward. I feel like where this, like in the verses, it's very it's kind of uh, downbeat and discordant, and mm-hmm. uh, and that guitar sound is very uh, almost Gang of Four-ish in a way. Mm-hmm. And then the the uh, chorus kind of uh, picks up and gets more upbeat. Although still, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's all minor chords or not, or if they switch to a major because I don't know enough about it. But uh, but yeah, then then the chorus. The the only problem I have with I I saw them play it live too, and it was, it was I thought it was much better live. But and I think that's because of the having a real drummer because it gets kind um, of yeah. weirdly clangy in the chorus. The the electronic percussion. Um, but yeah, no, I like this song a lot too. Well, what did you think, Pat? I I liked it a lot. It, I I liked the we're talking about the guitar. The opening guitar is really menacing. Yeah. To, yeah. to start things off, and I, I like that a lot. And I also like the way he sings. I, I've talked about this before in other songs, not necessarily REM, but I like the the emphasis of like each word is a sentence. And I in parts of the song, it's like that. And I, I like that a lot. Yeah, the emphasis on on each word as he's singing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually, that's a good point, that it, it does start out menacing, and then when you get to the chorus, it really soars above it. It's like I'm he's lift, he's going above it. above. The, and I, when you read the lyrics, you see also that that's the way it is. But there's, like, definitely a... a well, it, you know, I, I think that's a thing of music. Build up tension and then just pop and release it. So that with the, with the chorus, it really kind of, like, lets that energy loose that's been building up yeah and i i think uh his voice his voice definitely improved um like later in the like early on i feel like you know he was he was still a good singer i thought but he was definitely more of a uh kind of uh indie i I don't i don't know how to describe it you know he, he did the mumbly stuff but he was also more just kind of an indie rock singer and here you can like especially in the chorus, you can like hear hints of like soulfulness and stuff that was, I think not there on the I earlier think albums. Maybe it's both a matter of his voice improving and his confidence improving. So yeah, I think so. Uh, we're open to trying different things than he would have earlier. Well, I, I, this is not the album we're talking about, but when I saw the video for losing my religion, I was like, who the hell is that guy? <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's not the guy that I've seen in concert. Like that he could be so, like it was bizarre because I remember before long floppy hair and he would hold the microphone in a way that would make a, like a wall around his face. Yeah. He'd obscure himself. Yeah. Like it, he'd put his hands up in this way. That's like, I'm holding the microphone, but really I'm, you can't see my mouth or my face. It was, and to see this person just be so like communic physically communicative was like amazing. I, I was, cause I, I didn't really watch much MTV and stuff, so it was 
very rare when I would get to see stuff like that. And I was like, wow, who is this guy? Plus, I, don't, I think he had no hair in that video, too. So yeah, no, he didn't. <laughs> I was used to, like, this moppy hair that he used to have. So it was pretty amazing. And I think this um, this album is obviously much later than that, but continuing that uh, that expression is interesting. Yeah, and not even not even just on stage, but, like, early on in the interviews when he would talk, he would just be like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, not mumbling, but, you know, very kind of shy sounding. And then Mm -hmm. uh, later on in his career, when you hear him talk, he'd be like, yeah, so uh, look here, brother. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, definitely a big change in Michael's type. So he changed from Penn into Teller. Yeah, he kind (laughs) of did. Well, let's... let's, uh, Including the massive weight gain. Let's play Walk Unafraid, April's Pick, from Up. Here you go. Rocks to carry as I go. I just want to hold my head up high. I don't care what I have to step over. I'm prepared to look you in the eye. Look me in the eye and if That was all our our picks. Um, should put in a word for Day Sleeper, which is... Did you like that one, April? I couldn't remember if that was on the list of the ones you liked. I do, but it... I, I like Day Sleeper, but it... And it, continuing on this sleep and dreaming situation um, that I mentioned earlier. But it does get a little... Uh, I, the chorus can get a, a little... A bit big for me. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely the most um, old-school REM-sounding song on the album um but yeah i i i like i remember when it came out that's why i brought it up because i remember when the single was released for it um before the album came out probably but in any case i heard day sleep that was the first thing i heard off the album i was like oh this sounds like uh this sounds like old rem uh maybe i'll enjoy this album and then the rest of the album wasn't like that um i'd like to read the the michael stipe explaining the background to the song because it's 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 a it's a good it's a good michael stipe story Okay. He says, uh, I was in New York putting together a book of haikus that I worked on with several dear friends of mine over the course of a year. Very Michael Stipe. And I was walking down the steps of this building. It was probably four o'clock in the afternoon. I came to a door. It's apartment 3D or something. And there's a sign on it that says day sleeper. And I walked a lot more carefully, walk quietly down the steps, thinking about that poor person who's trying to sleep and me and my big old boots interrupting her sleep. I like that. Except, I mean, since this was... Latter day Michael Stipe, you should have said, 
Me and my big old boots interrupting his sleep. <laughs> but otherwise, I take your point. I'm not really good at doing the, the impressions like you. I mean, you have Michael Stipe down. You have uh, yeah, I nailed Bono. it. <laughs> have, you, um, have you done any uh, U2 stuff? Covering a U2 on the oh, podcast I'm, so far? I'm sure we will. There is, well, I mean, I should mention we stole the idea of doing this REM uh, series from uh, a podcast called You Talking U2 to Me, which which does all, covered the entire U2 catalog. Um, and that's uh, Scott Ackerman and Adam Scott do that. It's a really good podcast. People, sh- We actually did an episode on it. Uh, people should listen to that. Yeah, that's the closest we've come of doing a U2 episode. Yeah, I've done Bono impressions, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we yeah, I wouldn't mind doing a U two episode, although maybe like U two versus somebody else. Um, not too Coldplay much. versus U two. I can't the listen. Two to very no. the two very similar bands. I can I can fake my way through it and pretend I listen to Coldplay and just they're say, pretty much the yeah. same band, right? Yeah, it was. I'll just say it was terrible all the way through, and I'll be so right even if I. So when we do a U two uh, podcast, is there any possibility that you'll do the the entire thing in the Bono character? <laughs> I I can try it. Um, Hold on, let me try to get into my my bono. Dig voice down deep see, within yeah, yourself. See how? Um, well, I don't know. What are some? Um, I'm trying to think of some bono phrases. Um, this is how not about, a devil song. This song is Sunday, bloody Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I could maybe do a whole episode of that. You've, you've changed the bono impression, but I'm now more interested in. I would like you since you've become such a. Uh, yeah, let's, let's just uh, state st- uh, facts plainly. You've, you've become Rich Little. I'd like you to do Michael Stipe doing a Bono impression. Um, all right. <clears throat> let's see. Modern day Michael Stipe, not the mumble. Oh, modern, modern day Michael Stipe. All right. Uh, well, we're one, but we're not the same. Got to carry each other. Carry each other. Do you guys have tears in your eyes? <laughs> I was trying to cover my mouth so that I didn't laugh into the microphone. Sorry. How oh, it was dare so, you? That was wonderful. Well, I think that's... Uh, I think I just drooled on myself. You know we're still recording, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, we don't. We haven't been doing our uh, recommendations. For, oh, th- oh, thank you. Uh, we haven't been doing our recommendations on the REM podcast, but if you've got a pop culture recommendation, April, um, please feel free to share it. You know, I'm going to say something that is totally girlish, but there's been this show, um, is it like on, gosh, is it on USA, called Playing House, which I thought was going to be totally awesome. ridiculous. It was but awesome. It's, it's really funny. I, I was yeah. on a business trip, and... I had just come off of being really sick, so I decided I was just going to stay in my hotel room and, like, kind of veg out one night to kind of get over this illness. And I watched two episodes, and I it was really funny. I think it really captures how women relate to each other on a friendship level, and they're not afraid – the two actresses that are in the show are not afraid to make themselves look stupid or um, – I just – I really enjoyed it. And it's, it's about two friends – one is pregnant and her husband cheats on her, so she casts him out. And the other friend moves in with her to help her get through her pregnancy. And it just sounds like on the uh, on you know the superficial level, it sounds like it's going to be lame. But the 
the the chemistry between these two women and just the funny things that happen seem actually almost plausible in real life. So I just really enjoyed it. So I think I've I've only watched half of the season because I came to it so late. But um, the season finale just happened, so I'm sure it's on. You can probably watch it online or something. But I found it really funny, and I was very surprised by it. Yeah, Pat told me the same thing. We're both fans of of them, uh, Jessica, Jessica Sinclair and Lennon mm-hmm. Parham, um, and especially Jessica. Jessica Sinclair. God damn! Why, neither one of us can say her name, Pat. I don't even try anymore. But apparently, April doesn't listen to the podcast since I recommended that months oh, ago. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I no, listen no, to some episodes, but not all. That's a that's a really great show. I agree with you. It's it's a lot of fun. It's, and the the premise is it's totally stupid. But another not to spoil it too much. But what I another thing I like about it is they don't try to force romantic romance stuff like. It's they could easily force things to happen, but they don't. It's just a it's just a nice show about two friends. And, and it can get silly at times because you know it is a comedy, so it has to have a little silliness. But I just the the things they say to each other and the way they behave towards each other are like like I know people that interact this way, or I've interacted with someone in a similar way. So it seems very genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're and maybe they probably are friends in real life, but um, I just think it's fun to watch, and they actually. They'll actually get a little, I don't want to say, they don't cuss, but there's a little bit of, of little naughtiness that goes on sometimes, which is still really funny. And I think that's maybe why it's on later in the evening. Is it come on at 10 or something like that? But um, it's on a little later, which I think accommodates some of their um, humor, pseudo nastiness. It's not really nasty, but they can get a little blue. Well, sounds like a future episode, Pat. Oh, yeah, that would be fun. That versus Laverne and Shirley. Sure. Oh, my God, I love Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe I do. I mean, I know I did, but I don't know if I still do. I hope I do. Hello. <laughs> that was a uh, really good Laverne, John. Thank you. I felt that way about um, Sanford and Son. I loved it as a kid, and I still can watch it sometimes, but I, it's hard to get through a whole episode. Really? I've tried and I've loved it. I've, I've laughed uproariously. I don't know. I, We're, we are going to do a Sanford and Son episode, but I kind of agree with April because really? you know, they've got all these channels now that show, um, you know, like the old the old 70s and 80s uh, stuff, and, uh, and it's on a lot, and uh, some of it's kind of painful. I got to say, you know what I think? I think you guys are both big dummies. I know. I, I like it. I just find that... Like I, I'm thinking, the most recent episode I saw was where everyone pretended that um, Fred lost his hearing, and they were like, like they had pretend like they had the music on, they were talking, but there was all pantomime, and it, I eventually I was like, oh god, I can't watch this anymore. So maybe it was just that most recent episode, but I I do love it. I just I think have I, found in retrospect seeing it again, it's been a little not as I'm not as endeared. It's spotty. I, I think yeah, I think the episodes that aren't Fred heavy are really the ones that are hard to get through. Well, so if Red Fox isn't on the screen, you're not going to have a good time. One thing, even if, I mean, even if it's not, if, even if he's on the screen, everyone else is doing the comedy. One thing I've noticed rewatching it is um, Lamont comes off like a huge dick. Like, Oh, was, yeah. <laughs> was he supposed to be likable? I don't know. He just seems angry all the time. For no, mostly not good reasons. No, for no, I mean, that's just his, his like default state. Well, he, I think he never got out of the... 16 year old my parents are embarrassing stage so he's perpetually embarrassed or something by by my Fred. uh, fred's ways if it's got grady in it i'm totally into oh, yeah. it though 
Like if you if I'm on Team Grady, so anytime oh, he's I'm on, on, I love it. I'm on Team Bubba. <laughs> I'm on Team love Bubba on Esther. Well, she's in every episode. Oh God, yeah. But I, I, I think the, I think you guys are just missing the subtext. Lamon is so angry because he grew up with an alcoholic father who constantly beat him. So he's just making up for lost time. And yeah, he continues to live with him. Well, of course, because he's he's because uh, he's it's that he, they got that sweet uh, junkyard. Because he's because he's the next in line to inherit the empire. Wait, so didn't all right? I think we talked about this before, Pat. Wasn't there like a Sanford Arms or something? Yes, it was the spinoff. And he and started a hotel. Yeah, I, I never saw it. It was it was just I don't know why. Maybe it went to another network. But I think everybody from the cast was still involved. Or was, was it? it like a, a fish out of water, like you can take the man out of the junkyard, but you can't t- take the junkyard out of the man type thing. I have no idea what that sentence means, but yes, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> and then wasn't there... Di- there was what? another, another attempt at a spinoff where Grady had his own show living with his daughter's family, and it had... Um, I can't think of... It was, it was a famous actor who was in the role of, of his in-law, and that, was, that never went anywhere. And then wasn't there just Sanford at some point? Like, did Lamont leave? I don't know. No, I think Sanford... Yeah, I don't know what that was. Maybe. Yeah, I'm getting a little too deep into this. Um, well, thanks for coming on, April. That was a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Well, thanks thanks a lot. for having me. It was great to go walk down REM Lane. Yeah. And uh, you're welcome back anytime if you think of any, uh, any ideas for shows. Well, when you do a Sanford and Son one focusing on Grady, I'll be there. <laughs> I think we're going to be we're going to have a lot of guests for the Sanford and Son show. Yeah, everyone wants to Everybody. be. Everyone, everyone wants to talk about Sanford and Son. Um, have you ever done the Gong Show? No, that would be fun because you could. Isn't there all kinds of reality shows now that are like the Gong Show, where the people are singing like American Idol, that kind of thing? Oh yeah, there. Yeah, that. I guess. I guess that's kind of like the Gong. No, show. there's not. It's not like the Gong Show, but it's. It's an interesting thing to compare to the Gong Show. Oh yeah, that's true, and I'm sure we can find the Gong Show on YouTube. YouTube, or whatever. yeah. If we yeah. found Match Game, no, not Match Game. What's yeah? What did we, we, found, do? we did oh, Match Game. I loved your Match Game episode. <laughs> that was good. I love Match Games, kid. All right. If uh, uh, write to us at popculturecontinuum at gmail.com if you'd like to be on the show. If you have complaints, if you're a member of the Click, um, like us on Facebook, rate us highly on iTunes, and tell your friends to listen in. Although it probably is not going to be necessary anymore since April is a publicist and she's going to make us famous. Yeah. <laughs> we look forward to it. We're get- you guys better get assistance. So that's all I got to say. John's oh, my assistant. And Pat's mine, I was going to say. So we're, we're set. Um, all right, everybody. Um, I guess I guess we'll leave it at that. Uh, so till next time. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.
Something